0: Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Harry's has a special offer that you're going to love, and Dad will, too. Get $5 off one of their shave sets, including a limited-edition Father's Day set, at harrys.com. It's Wednesday, May 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and I'm joined here in studio by David Kretzmann from Motley Fool Supernova and Rule Breakers, and Matt Argersinger from Million Dollar Portfolio. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, Mac. Hey, Mac. How you feeling? Are you feeling it?
1: <sighs> Ready oh, to go. I'm always feeling it.
0: Okay, well, good. We're going to try something a little different this week. We're going to do our yes, no, maybe so. And the way this works... And this time we're gonna talk themes and big trends that are going on. We're gonna begin with the yes, that's something or some someone or something happening that you're feeling bullish about. Then we're gonna to go to the no's, you don't like that so much, and then we'll end up with the maybes, something happening out there that you're not quite sure about. Okay, so let's begin with what are you saying yes to, Matt Argusinger.
1: Well, Mac, I am saying yes to US Airlines. I <laughs> never thought I'd be on a podcast or anywhere talking about my love for US airlines right now. But uh, I was at the Sone conference a couple of weeks back. We, you and I talked, Mac, about it a couple of weeks back. And uh, it just the trend is so favorable right now for U.S. airlines. The consolidation in the industry, the fact that the top four airlines now control 80% of the revenue, pricing power is back, there's been a massive swing towards profitability. And yet the stocks for the most part, are getting very low valuations in the market vis-a-vis other transportation industries like railroads, for example, or shipping.
0: And why is that? Just a lot of skepticism because of the history?
1: Right. I mean, you're talking about decades of of poor profitability, bankruptcies in a lot of cases, uh, a highly competitive market. Uh, And so, investors have just gotten used to assigning a very low uh, earnings multiple to the airlines. I think that's going to change. I think uh, with the pricing power that's back, I think airlines airlines are already really profitable. We know that Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, has made an uh, investment in a basket of airlines, and I just think it's turning for the better in the same way that railroads kind of turned for the better um, about over a decade ago. And so another part of it is lower fuel costs, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the podcast with my my other theme. But uh, I think Spoiler. all that, yeah, I think that all of that points to very positive things for the airlines. And so. Taking a basket approach to the industry, or maybe buying one or two airlines, probably a good bet today. So, do you have a favorite of the group? I would I would go with United Airlines mainly because uh, not because of what happened. Because <laughs> he's a sadist. All <laughs> well, right. I mean, we all know about the incident that was just all over the news. That was horrible. But uh, of all of the four major airlines, United stands out to me as the cheapest. Has some kind of activist uh, investors interested in it. Management changed recently. Really, kind of turning towards the better, I think, in terms of margins, Uh, and it it has a little bit of a gap between that and, say, a Delta or Southwest in terms of margins and and multiples. So, I feel like there's a little bit more upside with United Airlines. So, if I had to buy one of the major four, I'd probably go
0: there. Okay, David Kretzmann, what are you saying yes to?
2: I'm going with online grocery shopping. This is still in the U.S. a very small emerging category, but when you compare the proportion of grocery of grocery market sales that are online. In the US it's just 1.4%. In Japan it's 7.2%, in the UK it's 6.9%, and in South Korea it's over 16%. So wow. to me that that leaves a lot of room for that category to grow. I'm not saying that, you know, within 5 or 10 years 50% of grocery sales will be online, but I think there's a lot of room for that to run in the US and you have some Startups like Instacart, which have partnerships with Safeway, Whole Foods, and a lot of others, so I just see room for this category uh, to grow. Some projections uh, show this category growing from about nine and a half billion dollars in 2016 to over 15 billion dollars by 2021, so about a 10% annualized growth rate. So, all in all, it's still a very small category. Most consumers still don't buy a whole lot of stuff online. If they do, it might be stuff like breakfast cereal or chips from from Amazon. Uh, frozen and fresh food continues to, to be kind of the, the big question mark. Like, can a company crack the code where customers are comfortable having someone else del- buy and deliver that stuff from, from the store? And, and no one has really cracked that code here in the US yet.
0: So you just mentioned Amazon. If I'm an investor and I hear that and that all sounds great, But what do I do with that information? Do I invest in Amazon, or is there a pure play that specializes in that online delivery?
2: There's not really a pure play at this point, at least that I know of. Instacart is still a private company. They've expanded very quickly. I think Amazon is one way that you can get some exposure to the company, but their Amazon Fresh initiative is such a small percentage of the company, you don't want to invest in Amazon only with that thesis. But I think Whole Foods is actually a company uh, that that could continue to benefit here. They've been an early partner with Instacart, with their 365 uh, stores, their smaller stores. They're getting closer to, to customers. They only have four of those stores right now, but they are planning to continue opening uh, some more of those stores. And as they get closer to customers, that should improve delivery times and just the ability to, to offer uh, that that type of thing. So. Whole Foods is one that I see moving that direction. They've been rolling out a loyalty program in a few different markets, and so far, that loyalty program is really driving a good chunk of the sales in those stores where they're testing that that concept. And I think a similar you, you can take a similar argument here to why we like restaurants doing the same thing, transitioning to digital and a loyalty program, whether it's Starbucks or Chipotle or Panera, and you see that that loyalty program and that digital presence really uh, driving up volume and throughput in the stores. You're seeing uh, a lot of repeat customers coming back. I think you can extend that same argument to grocers. And I think Whole Foods is, has finally recognized that digital is a, is a pretty key piece of that experience, experience whether it's uh, delivering groceries itself or meal kits, kind of similar to, to Blue Apron. They're doing some early tests there. Uh, so, again, I wouldn't invest in Whole Foods solely because of that, but the company continues to produce a lot of cash. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. And Ron Shake, the the founder and CEO of Panera, is going to be joining um, the the board of directors of Whole Foods uh, amidst this latest uh, board shakeup up uh, within the past month or so. So, I think having his presence on board, having John Mackey as the sole CEO, uh, moving away from that dual CEO structure, I think you're going to see a lot uh, more Focused initiative from Whole Foods moving toward digital and online ordering. Okay, Matt, what are you saying no to? I'm saying no to oil. <laughs> That's pretty broad.
1: <laughs> and, uh, and by the way, I, this is me, this is things I'm reading. I'm by no expert uh, on, the, on the oil industry itself. I, I talk to really smart fools like Paul Chi about this all the time. But I'm pretty convinced that within the very near future, I'd say less than five years, we're going to hit peak oil. In terms of prices and production, uh, and this stems partly because of things that are happening right here in the United States. And so, OPEC, as we all know, we all are familiar with the oligopoly that for years, decades, set kind of the world's oil price. Um, they kind of they're waging a war with with U.S. shale producers, and they're losing pretty badly. Uh, they, starting in 2014, OPEC tried to keep production levels high, trying to drive prices lower to kind of knock out shale. Didn't work. Uh, Recently, they've actually tried—you know—had an agreement to cut production to try to get prices back. That's kind of working, but all the while, shale producers here in the U.S. are getting more efficient. Uh, They're—they're—they're being able to produce uh, oil and 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 earn profits from that oil at very low prices. Uh, In most cases, the average, according according to Bloomberg Intelligence, most active wells that are already drilling can earn profits at oil prices as low as thirty dollars. And oil prices are at fifty today, Um, and uh, some reports have oil production in the U.S. going up by a million barrels a day this year and next year. And so, if you're OPEC or you're oil-dependent economies that depend on higher oil prices to balance budgets and do all kinds of things, I'd say you're you're in trouble unless you diversify your economy. I'd also say if you're kind of the big oil producers like an Exxon Mobil, a Chevron, or an oil services company like Halliburton. I, I think you have to prepare your company and the industry for dramatically, dramatically lower oil prices, uh, and this is before we even start talking about solar power becoming more efficient and cheaper, or you know other uh, alternative energy sources, or the transportation, you know electrification of vehicles, which is all going to you know reduce demand for oil. So I, I've got this, I've got this feeling that there is going to be a pretty big disruption in this market that still, by the way, makes up a pretty large chunk of the S and P five hundred, and so a lot of us. Indirectly are are invested in a lot of these oil companies, and I think the uh, I think the return is going to be pretty poor
0: going forward. So you're saying no to Exxon Mobil and
1: the like. I I think so. I mean I, it, it's going to be hard to pinpoint losers, and a great company like ExxonMobil might be able to diversify its business. But I'd say if you're any large producer that's de- going to be dependent on drilling, ex-
0: exploring, drilling and producing oil over the next five ten years, you're you're in trouble. But that five to ten year period that seems pretty important because if If it happens, if that plays out in the next five years, that has a certain set of implications. If it's closer to 15 or 20 years, then investors can still make a lot of money, right? I'm always a bit skeptical. When people talk about the death of big oil, it reminds me a little of like when I was in elementary school and people said, the metric system, we're going to adopt the (laughs) metric system. (laughs) And there was this big push, and then it just went away. And in case you haven't noticed, the U.S., not using the metric system. That's right. That's right. Well, you're right. It,
1: it, saying this is going to happen within five years probably really aggressive. But I would say, in unlike the metric system, right? I think there's a real, <laughs> there's a real, there's a real desire. I think for a lot of industries, a lot of you know human beings and governments to move away from oil if we can for alternative sources. At least I hope that's the case. And so. I think there's a lot of forces on a lot from coming from a lot of different places that are saying, "Hey, we just need to be using a lot less oil," and it's just remarkable that the culprit for lower oil prices is coming right here from the United States, which a decade ago we'd have never said that.
2: Uh, and so I
1: think it's I think it's pretty much inevitable
2: now. Something interesting in the Wall Street Journal from a couple of days ago, which will be fascinating to watch, is in China the the most popular vehicle category and it's growing in terms of market share is SUVs and uh, people in China who aren't used to driving they they tend to gravitate toward SUVs which are, are safer to drive so electric vehicles up to this point haven't really grabbed hold in China in in terms of market share and people are going to these big gas guzzling SUVs so you know theoretically over the next few years you'll continue to see demand for for gasoline or oil that way but obviously there's a a lot more that goes into uh, to oil demand than just just driving, but th- that that will be a pretty interesting trend to watch in China because China has been making a push to to move toward cleaner energy. Like a lot of those cities deal with some pretty major pollution problems, but even so, people are, are going to SUVs right now in China.
0: Texas and China, yep, nope. peas in a pod. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David, what are you saying no
2: to? I'm saying no to fitness trackers and. Uh, I'll just say that that isn't saying no to, to wearable devices as, as a whole, but fitness trackers themselves, like something you put on your wrist to, to track your your sleep, your heart rate, your running speed and distance and all that, I think that's a feature and it's not a product. It reminds me more of uh, Garmin 10 or 15 years ago, where you have these dedicated GPS systems, but lo and behold, it gets integrated into Virtually every phone and device out there, and you don't need a separate GPS system. So I think fitness trackers are, are just something that they, they won't necessarily go away. I think that feature will be integrated into to smartwatches or you know glasses or whatever wearable devices we have. But I mean, uh, between 2009 and 2015, U.S. navigation system sales dropped from 15.5 million to to 10 million. Garmin uh, Garmin's share price over the past 10 years is down 10 percent. Uh, And and I think uh, you'll see something similar play out with with Fitbit, which already, uh, for for 2017, they're guiding for the revenue to to drop. They're back to losing money and burning cash. And since Apple entered the the smartwatch market, it still kind of surprises me that people will give the. Uh, apple smartwatch or apple watch so much grief because ever since apple entered that market in 2015 it's never dropped below 50% market share right now it has 63% and i think that that goes back to my previous point where uh, when you buy an apple watch it's fitting into an existing ecosystem and yeah. i think that's similar to 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 gpss where that it's a key feature, but people aren't going to buy a product just for that feature. I, I, I love
1: the point too. I mean, from a, from if you're an investor listening to this podcast, I think uh, David just said some really smart things in the sense that watch out for products and services that are merely features, yeah. right? That aren't part of a ecosystem or a product that that can do a lot of uh, diverse and versatile things for you. Uh, there there are a lot. I mean, you you can look out in business all the time and see situations like that where. Maybe there's a cybersecurity firm like FireEye, I'm throwing out just one that's underperformed lately, where maybe what they do is more features. You know, it's not necessarily the one-stop solution for my cybersecurity needs. I'm just making an example here. But uh, that, that, those, are, those exist all the time. And the key to, to you know, investing is really finding those companies that are actually building the platforms and the ecosystems that consumers are going to keep coming back to and that keep getting richer, uh, whereas companies that just do
0: one or two things really well tend to get gobbled up pretty fast. And, guys, before we get to our maybes, I want to say thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Now, I shaved with my Harry's this morning, and, wow, what a great close shave. Don't I look good? You are looking good, Mac. And I feel good. And and I'm not going to lie to you, I have been feeling my face all morning because I forgot what a really, really close shave feels like. And that's (laughs) what you're going to get with Harry's. It is smooth, smooth, smooth. Did I mention smooth? <laughs> Harry's shave set makes for a great Father's Day gift as well. You can get five dollars off one of their shave sets, including a limited edition Father's Day set, at Harrys.com/fool. Shave sets start at just fifteen dollars. Not to mention the five dollars you get off when you go to Harrys.com/fool, and you get a razor handle moisturizing shave gel, which is awesome, and three of Harry's five-blade precision engineered razors. So stop messing around and get started shaving with Harry's today. That's harrys.com fool harrys.com fool. Let's close out with our maybe so stock. Matt, this is something that you're you're still kind of noodling over. Uh, you're conflicted yeah. about sorry, and it's not a stock. It's a trend or a theme or something happening. What are you maybe on
1: Well, and I don't I actually don't know what what this theme should be called. Is it autonomous vehicles? Is it Mobility disruption—is it the shared car revolution? I, however you want to call it, I guess mobility disruption might be the best kind of catch-all phrase. But uh, I was really—I've listened to Chris Hill's interview with the uh, Rethinks founder Tony Siba from yeah. last week's uh, Motley Full Money radio show twice now because I just think it's—it's it's mind-blowing the future that that Siba has kind of laid out and his in his research firm and uh, about what can happen, what's going to happen. I think to in five—he's putting out five or six years where. We're going to be at a point where everyone's using shared vehicles for the yep. most part. That autonomous vehicles, electric autonomous vehicles are just dominating the roads. We don't need parking lots. We don't need car dealers. We don't need we don't need auto producers like Ford because maybe Tesla or one other company is going to be making all the vehicles we use anyway, and no one's really going to
0: care. And, and it's more of a service that you could potentially be a member of and subscribe to, and your car comes by and picks you up, and then you're done with right. it. Right. And you don't own your own. car. And who?
1: How? Why do I care what the car might look like or how it performs? It just gets me point A to B in a very comfortable setting. I'm good. And there's a lot, a lot to love about that future, and I'm, I'm excited about it, frankly. But uh, I, I'm the what, what you have to assume, and we talked about this before the show, Mac, is you just have to assume that people are, are going to really be willing to give up private car ownership. In other words, yeah. that there's this, and maybe that works if you're if you're someone who's living in the city who it, it, having a car is a hassle and an expense you don't want to deal with. But if you live in a lot of parts of this country and you want a car to, I don't know, drive a few hours to see someone or go somewhere or go camping, I mean, it's or if you're in a rural area, there's, right. there's no way. And there's there might not, 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 yeah. not be a car sharing service network that can right. get to you. Yeah. So there's a lot of things you have to assume. And by the way, the big, the yeah, sort of elf in the room is the, the government the, and the state governments, federal, local. They, there's got to be a lot of regulations passed to really enable these autonomous vehicle networks to really happen anyway. So I'm excited about the future. Whether or not it happens in five or six years, very skeptical of that. Even 10 years seems. Seems really you know a stretch, but it's coming. I just uh, don't know what what you know when the timing is going to be and who's going to win who and who's going to lose from this. There's just so many implications, and I just don't think you, the average consumer, if you explain to them this future, I think they'd be you know I think, what that's not going to happen. But that's that's kind of how disruption happens.
0: It can happen quickly. Yeah, so. and, and I was skeptical. We were talking about this beforehand, and I think the tricky part of this is for people, and we all fit into this category, people who know how to drive. Who grew up driving? Making that transition, for me at least, is very difficult because I love driving and I love mm-hmm. the psychology of being able to drive when I want, where I want. But my kids, if they never learn to drive on their own, and this is the world they know, so what?
1: Yeah, right. And I mean, and and I think Seba's point is a good one. It's just when something happens so dramatically where the cost drops, you know, 10x, or it just becomes something that's so much more convenient. And if walking out of our front door every morning and getting into a shared car that pulls right up, and not dealing with traffic, and not dealing with having to park the car, and being dropped right in front of our office or wherever we're going, it's a compelling future. And if if that's the case, then I think it can happen pretty fast. But But there's so much that
0: has to happen before we even get to that point. And there's going to be that period, that transition period, where some vehicles, I assume, would be autonomous, and some vehicles not. And if that's the case, I'm still driving, because I don't want to get in a car that's autonomous. And trust that technology, realizing that they're human drivers on the road, and you know that I, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't like that.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll piggyback off this uh, and ask a question. Any guesses for the top three selling vehicles in the U.S. last year?
0: Um, the Ford F one fifty was say, that's that's the truck, I think. Worldwide, was in the top three. Um, the Honda Accord.
2: Nope. So number three is Ram trucks. Mm. Number two. Chevy Silverado number one Ford <laughs> F <F-150>. 150. <laughs> so, <there you> go. <laughs> so I, yeah, when I think of, of autonomous driving, I never think about a truck, but I mean, literally the top three selling vehicles in, in the country are, are trucks, trucks. And I think that yeah. shows, you know, I, I don't know if anyone really wants an autonomous. Good l- yeah, well, and good luck the guy who just bought the Ford F one hundred and fifty there. Good luck to
1: convincing him that he's gonna, you know, get in an autonomous, <laughs> yeah. autonomous sedan or said something. Here's point your Prius. Yeah, yeah. that's right. To get to, yeah, are, I agree. It's, are, uh,
0: are both of you guys there with the technology right now. If a Google driverless car pulls up right now and says, "I'll take you to Dallas Airport," are you good with that?
2: I I would hop in, sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the fact what Max said about the you know, other humans still being out there driving around, I, you know, I I, I would I th- I'd, I'd be willing to give it a try. But for you, sure.
0: you'd feel better if they were all autonomous. Absolutely. Vehicles, right? Oh, yeah. absolutely. I would too. Yeah, I'll I'll take that bet.
2: Get rid of the human error whenever yeah. possible. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. David. What are you a maybe so on? I am going
2: with bottled and sparkling water. And I think I, I, I could have, I mean, this is kind of a safe one. So I, I, I'm leaning more yes than no on this one. But, uh, and it's probably no surprise, but looking at uh, global bottle, bottled water consumption went from 212 billion liters in 2007 to 391 billion liters uh, this year. That's estimated for this year. And in the meantime, carbonated beverage sales in the US have stagnated since 2010. You've seen uh, Pepsi and Coke continue to to struggle with that, and they've been transitioning more and more to to waters and juices and teas to kind of ramp up their own growth, and even SodaStream has made a resurgence here uh, in the U.S. and around the world uh, since it's kind of repositioned itself from a, a pure soda alternative where it would have like these funky syrup flavors, and instead just going the the sparkling water water route, We're saying. These systems aren't to make soda, they're to make sparkling water, and lo and behold, uh, they've done pretty well. Uh, And One company in particular that uh, I've continued to watch in this space, it's a really funky little company. They they don't have conference calls. The CEO is probably the quirkiest guy uh, you'll ever see running a public company. National Beverage, F I Z Z, is the ticker, and uh, they're the company. They they have a couple segments now. They have a carbonated soft drink segment behind uh, with brands like Shasta and Fago, kind of these off. Shasta, offbeat, wow, that's an interesting brands. I haven't heard yeah. it in a while. Uh, but they also have a Power Plus brand segment, and the main driver with that is Lacroix. Lacroix, however you you want to say that, and that either is
0: acceptable on market I, foolery,
2: I, so. I, I will, yeah, we'll, we <laughs> might do both. We'll see, uh, but right now La- Lacroix is at about nine percent market share, but it's the fastest growing sparkling water brand out there. They have the top two spots, and just you know a little boots on the ground research here, like our, our local Whole Foods uh, near us at, at HQ. Anytime you walk in, uh, there's often a huge. Uh, Lacroix display either at the front of the store or at a pretty prominent location in the store. Then another local store here in town, Balducci's. I walk by it just about every morning. There's a massive uh, Lacroix display right in the front door. So the stuff is selling like hotcakes. I think at least in Old Town Alexandria. Um, and and just looking over the past four quarters for that Power Plus brand segment, their case volume sales were up 31%, 46%. Forty percent and forty-nine percent. So they're just putting up some staggering growth. The main question I have here is, you know, is, is this a sustainable, lasting trend, or is it still more of a fad? And I'm leaning more to it be, being a trend because I think as people become more health conscious, they they probably aren't going to go back to to soda anytime soon. But uh, I'm wondering with the individual brands within that category, like Lacroix, are are they actually here to stay, or
0: can one of these bigger players just just recreate it. But isn't sparkling water? I'm I'm a skeptic here because I love water. So I love sparkling water without the sparkling part. And so the word for that is water. <laughs> you and me both. And so when you're competing with water, isn't that isn't that tough I mean that feels like really. I mean, maybe they're not competing with water. Maybe sparkling water drinkers would be drinking what soda otherwise. I, I think
2: a lot of a lot of people who are trying to transition off okay. of soda will go to Lacroix or like sparkling water. It's like that nicotine water, patch or the something like that. Like I've personally, I, I've tried it and they they don't really taste sweet or anything, so it hasn't been very appealing to me. But I'm not a, a soda drinker either. But uh, I, I mean, I just look at that sales growth, and uh, yep. I mean, over over the past year, uh, their sales growth has accelerated to fifteen percent, and their earnings are up over seventy percent. So their margins are continuing to tick up. Uh, so I mean, it's just that that Lacroix brand for for national beverage anyway is just driving those sales. But then, thinking a little bit bigger picture though, <laughs> you have like the energy drink market with. Monster and Red Bull, and that category has almost doubled in the US since 2010. So I look at that and I kind of scratch my head like it's yeah. not just a clear trend toward uh, healthy drinking. So uh, that, that's why for me it's still a little bit up in the air, especially when you're looking at individual brands like LaCroix. Like, how much staying power do they actually have?
0: Okay, well, we will leave it there. Matt, you are yes on airlines, no on oil, and a maybe on autonomous vehicles. David, you are yes on online grocery shopping no on fitness trackers and a maybe on sparkling and bottled water. Bottled water too. Sure. Yeah. We'll throw that in there. We'll throw that in. How about in some there. trends there, huh? Yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> Matt David, thanks for joining me. Thanks, thanks Matt. Matt. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening and we will see you tomorrow.